slash and cast. Fiends to handle a whisker presented by the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Our show discusses horror movies and the phobias they emphasize. We have just wrapped up our botanophobia deep dive here this past month as we looked at the fear of plants. And, uh, you know, we're pivoting for a little bit to focus on some of the newer releases for the genre before we deep dive into some more holiday horror movies, which, uh, you know, we we got a new trailer for Violet Nights earlier today. Uh, It was actually airing on TV, and I saw it, and I was like, oh, yeah, but this is a movie coming out. It's like the first week of December, so... Who knows? Maybe that'll be one of the first ones we tackled in uh, in December this year. But uh, I'm your host, Totally Drunk, joined as always by my co-hosts, Holly and John. Hi, Guys, hi. How are you doing tonight? Hi, hi. Hey, good, good. Yeah, you have to excuse John. He's uh, a little lazily, but, uh, you know, he's here, and that's the important thing. He couldn't mm-hmm. make it to the mansion. I'm a little under the weather, so I have to quarantine. <laughs> but- I hope I didn't give you anything last week. No, no, it's just a cold. Okay, good. But I just woke up with it on Sunday, and you know, the scratchiness. Well, I'm glad you stayed home then. Thank you. Yeah, mm. yeah otherwise we were just going to lock you in the basement. You know? <laughs> yeah, you can record from there. It's spooky. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a much darker backdrop, though, in that case. More Domery, less <laughs> Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, have you guys been watching uh, the Donner film, uh, TV show? Dahmer? No. No, no. I haven't been watching it. But I've heard people, are, it's been kind of a popular show. People are talking about it. You know, I'm a big fan of uh, Evan Peter. You know what? I'm so sorry. I kind of, I'm derailing the show already. Let's stay. <laughs> it's fine. That's no, fine. Yeah. I, I was just wondering if you're like, yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of serial killers. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I want to be one. No, I do not actually. No, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, Evan Peters. He's a really great actor. Um, but I'm having a hard time watching the show. I think it's because they, they sexualize them so much. That you're like, am I not, am I not supposed to hate Dahmer? I'm so confused right now. It's like, oh, poor Dahmer, and look, he's been working out. He looks so good, and you're like, he does look good. <laughs> so it's the roller coaster ride is awkward, and so I haven't actually finished it. Nice, that's cool. But yeah, not surprising. True crime is really popular right now, and there is always that weird kind of. Uh, like, what do you call it? Groupies yeah. for serial killers, you know, on the internet and stuff. I like wonder that. if he has man groupies, you know, because that's what he was into. So, was... oh wait, he died mm-hmm. in '91, wasn't it? I wonder if he had past tense man groupies. That would have been nuts. I bet he did. I, I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, we we got people with you know cults behind him and everything. So oh, you know, I, I yeah. feel like. I, 
I feel like the show's just like trying to like induce Stockholm syndrome on people, even though you're not actually. Captured. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just it's a weird um, it's a weird angle, which is not. It's actually really popular. Like you see that a lot, you know, like the super sexy serial killer, right? But uh, it's mm-hmm. um, it's one thing to see fiction do that. It's a whole other thing to add it onto like you know real life, and you're like, oh crap, this is creepy. So I think that's you know I, I'm I'm glad that I still have those boundaries. I'll say that much. <laughs> Look who's mentally well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's something I guess. Uh, so tonight uh, we are focusing on one of the new VOD releases. Uh, this one comes from. Anna Lily Amrapour, uh, who had did uh, or done the the Bad Batch was her last movie. She also did A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which was a very uh, unique, stylish black and white like vampire movie. Uh, Bad Batch was more, you know, kind of like steampunk esque, uh, but another good movie in its own right. Uh, so tonight we're discussing her new movie, uh, which is Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon. Uh, now, I will preface this. I would not categorize this as a horror movie. Uh, just based off of what we got in it. There are some elements that might be seen as horrific because it ca- does kind of deal with the supernatural, uh, which honestly wasn't really explained <laughs> like in the movie at all with the Blood Moon, which I thought was kind of uh, interesting. I felt like we were missing a piece there. Uh, but all in all, like right away, you're going to know that this is one of Anna's movies based on her distinct indie style uh really good soundtrack in this movie as well very similar to what we have gotten in her prior two movies as well uh but you know we we really wanted to you know just take some time to check out a lot of new stuff just because october just in like this two three week span has so much content coming out and it was really hard for us to like try to squeeze in everything in like a four week window yeah, definitely. I so I have to confess I've never seen any of her other movies, but now I really want to uh because this movie was really good. But I I've been hearing a lot of positive things about those movies, but just never got a chance to see them yet. Yeah, but, I mean, I um I I haven't seen The Bad Batch, but I've seen A Girl Walks Alone at Night, Walks Home Alone at Night. And that's actually the that's her as a as a lead in that movie, by the way. And uh, I was, you know, the movie this movie just came out, and um, <clears throat> there isn't a lot out there yet. Although there is, there are some some reviews already bouncing around. There's um, a couple of interviews with some of the actors and with the director, which are really telling. Um, I really enjoyed the interview with with Anna, though, because she. Um, one of the big complaints that some people had about the movie was that they didn't feel like the narrative was complete and they, they sort of, um, I wouldn't say attacked, but they, they, they really, you know, put that as a shortcoming of her as, uh, as a director. And she actually spoke to that directly saying that everything was planned to the most minute detail. Like she's not leaving anything out. This is exactly the story that she wanted to tell. Although I, I do feel like, you know, when I left the movie, I really enjoyed it, but I did feel like I like I was missing something. But I, I guess that's the whole point, right? And there was even more of a sense of a closure in Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. So for you, John, that movie is about um, 
a girl who's a vampire who's just kind of walking the streets. And is it said in Iran? Or is it said in? I I honestly can't remember. It's been so yeah. long. But you know, it's it's funny because it's like all all like throughout the movie, like she's seen as like a, a knight. A woman of the night, right. basically. Which of course has a double meaning, right. uh, yeah. in, in in most cases. So I'm a child of the night, thank you very much. <laughs> so uh in that movie it's you know, she does the same sort of well, that's her technique a little bit, which is you get this sort of uh sense of the everyday of the the um, you know, like you're just these her characters are walking through reality and um not, you know, half of the time they're not the reality sort of affecting them is, and then half the time they're actually affecting their reality around themselves or around them. I don't know if that came out right, but you know, like there's a lot of like wandering in her movies. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I like that, but it kind of makes, leaves me feeling a little kind of empty, although it is very beautiful. And I do believe that that's her, her point. Yeah. I definitely noticed that, it didn't have the traditional story structure, um, but it ended up not mattering to me because the movie was good and I didn't get bored and it kept carrying along. I, it, I actually really expected it because a, a lot of movies like this will start strong like this does and then we'll kind of lose steam halfway through. But I think this movie always maintained the same level which is a good thing and a bad thing. Like, I don't think it ever really dropped down in terms of keeping the story moving forward and keeping the energy going. But at the same time, it felt like it never escalated either. Uh, you never got, like, kind of... I mean, I guess you sort of get the exciting kind of conclusion, but not quite. Mm -hmm. it kind of, the story just kind of moves along in the same way, and then it kind of ends... But, it, but I thought it was so good, though, overall, that I was like, okay, I'm fine with this, even though I, I would look at the clock and there'd be, like, 30 minutes left. And it was like, this is not following <laughs> the traditional, like, structure, you know, it's not doing the normal things. Or when way. they're very obviously nearing the end and I stopped it to see what time was left. It was like, it's almost over. Is that it? Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, and incidentally, it's funny that uh, you say, um, T, that you wouldn't categorize it as a horror movie. Um, I'm afraid that we, uh, I did lose Joe about 15 minutes in. <laughs> so we just watched mm -hmm. Return of the Living Dead yesterday. <laughs> or two, I'm sorry, the Thursday. Uh, yeah, um, Monday. We watched it Monday night. And so I think he, I couldn't explain to him what the movie was about because I couldn't quite remember. And so he kind of thought it was going to be more of a slasher thing. <laughs> and uh, okay. he, was, he got a little bored and he walked away. Whoops. <laughs> it, I mean, the thing is, is the pre, I watched the pre, the uh, trailer, which makes it look like right. a horror movie. And the first 15 minutes or 20 minutes feel like a horror movie, especially the opening in the uh, insane asylum and what happens with the nurse and making the nurse stab herself and everything. It feels like a horror movie for sure. in that beginning part, but then I was definitely thinking that about, you know, halfway in, it was like, this is not really a horror movie anymore. This is more 
like an X-Men movie, like a dark X-Men movie. Speaking of which, <laughs> uh, this director did uh, direct an episode of Legion. So, a little bit there. I haven't seen that. Oh, you'd love that. it. You should check it out. It's got your favorite actor from The Guest. <laughs> that sexy yes. serial killer that I'm into. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, yeah, and, I, and uh, I I will note too, like upcoming, she also does have one of the episodes for the new uh, Guillermo del Toro miniseries. She oh, did nice. a Twilight Zone, the new one, I think, right? Yeah, she's got a couple of uh, of episodes with yeah, the Twilight and then Zone. I wanna, I'm trying to think of what else. Like she's been she's been pretty uh, busy, so that's really cool. And I really do. I like her style a lot. Um, I think uh, there is. I can't remember who uh, the who in production was also working a lot with Ari Arster, whatever that dude's name is, or that from uh, Hereditary. Yes. Who did Hereditary, right? And so, yes. So, I mean, I think we can uh, attribute some of the visuals to um, to that person's artistic and en- artistic endeavors. So, uh, yeah, the movie was beautiful. The soundtrack was awesome. I really, uh, I-, I overall mm. really enjoyed it. So. I was I was glad I got to see that. I have to say, in the very, very beginning, like literally the first five minutes of the movie, I was a little worried. In the first minute of the movie, I was sort of like, oh no. Because <laughs> the way that it kind of comes in on this girl and she is in the straight jacket with no pants on, and they have like the drool coming out and she's kind of roll, you know, making faces and they have the real wide angle camera. It, I was like, is this going to be like a goofy, edgy, like, but not in a good way kind of movie, you know, where, cause I like the kind of crazy stuff, but when it's not done right and it's a little too edgy, it ends up just being kind of cringy, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was a little worried for the first minute that that, because I didn't know anything about the director or writer or anything. And I kind of was like, uh-oh. But then uh, a funny thing happened, which is that they started playing the music from one of my all-time favorite bands, High on Fire, which uh, they are on the soundtrack I was blown away to find. Because I recognize this song, but I recognized it in a way where it was like i did i couldn't place it it's they start the music they play in the insane and when things start kind of going crazy before she escapes and it, it's a different version of the song and I, I was like wait this is so weird i know this song really well but i can't place it and so i just paused the movie and look and sure enough it was uh high on fire and they're a really great band uh so I was instantly like, oh, this <laughs> yeah. is going to be You're awesome. Like, oh, <laughs> I have fire. That's crazy. Sign me up for the rest of awesome. $6. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, it, it, but it also got good really quick. So I was relieved. I was like, okay, this is good. good. <laughs> but there, I swear that not to be like, I'm no prude by any <laughs> means, but the choice to have her uh, in no pants in the very beginning of the movie is so kind of blatantly like check her out you know and it's like you would never they don't do that you know to 
people, as bad as those places are, they do give you pants, I think, usually <laughs> in those places. But, uh, but no, I shouldn't complain about that. was the only, only reason at first I was kind of like, huh, I what it, is this? I, I, I was with but, you where I thought, okay. like, for sure it was foreshadowing some sort of, like, sexual assault that was imminent. But uh, I thought that was very um, um, sweet for, for the movie that essentially everybody that she met, that she really interacted with, which would be Bonnie, Bonnie's son, um, Fuzz, was that that dude's name? Even uh, Craig, Craig's character, who's, I can't remember his last name, and also I can't remember the character's name, but um, they were all either decent or straight up kind to her, which was really sweet, right? So it was, um, I mean, the only, the, the person who got it the worst was uh, Kate Hudson as, as Bonnie. Damn. Got beat up a couple times. Mm -hmm. That was rough. But yeah. uh, yo, so that was kind of refreshing that you know usually in these movies these characters are just dragged, right? So um, it was kind of nice not to yeah. see that directly. Although some people did get it. Oh, totally. That was definitely something that I noticed right away um, when because it starts out the way that you think it's going to go where the nurse mm -hmm. treats her yeah. horribly right off the bat and is abusing her. And it's kind of like, okay, yeah, of course. Like that's what always happens in these movies, like in the Hollywood version of these movies. But then uh, when she gets out and meets the, the metal heads, the skaters, the, stoners, <laughs> the, <gift> <laughs> the nicest skaters on the block. Let's go for like 50 bucks a pair. So it's, it was not nothing. Mm -hmm. But it's realistic. That's the thing, like what you, Holly, what you're saying about the way the characters treat the main character is that the the people in this movie act, I think, far more realistically than most right. other movies. Because in real life, like there are obviously terrible people in real life who do terrible things, but for the most part, like for instance, the first stoner metalheads she meets in real life those kids would actually give act that way they would they might not give her her their their shoes but they wouldn't in the ho traditional hollywood version of this movie they would have totally been like well they kind of tease her at first and you think they're gonna start being terrible to her but then they're just like oh hey like once they realize there's something wrong and that she's kind of in trouble they instantly want to help her and, Unlike and, the trio from The Guardian, <laughs> those guys were terrible. <laughs> rape and kill the baby. Yeah, yeah. They, they weren't like, where are her pants? <laughs> you know? Well, that's, that's totally what I was thinking, too, was The Guardian is like the perfect other side of the coin of how this movie would have been done normally. Or like if it was a Hollywood movie or if it was a movie that was made mm -hmm. in the past, you know, where they had to follow the more traditional tropes. It would have just been a series of people being terrible to her and then her killing right. them with her powers, you know? Mm. Uh, but, and I love, there are a bunch of really funny, I don't know if it was just me, but there were a bunch of really funny lines that were kind of just like regular lines, but they were delivered in really funny ways. Like when uh, they give her the shoes and uh, the girl is like to the one guy. She's like, "Give, give her your shoes." And he's like, "Oh, I know I have the smallest <laughs> feet, 
when, when he's taking him off to give him to her because he he's the one that should give her the shoes because his are most likely to fit her. <laughs> but he was like, I have the smallest boot. That was pretty good. I dug that. And I, I also love how, like, throughout the movie, there's also kind of the run-in gag when it comes to Mona Lisa and wanting certain types of food. Because initially, right out of the gate, when she's leaving the mental asylum, it's the cheesy poofs. Then it becomes, like, the french fries or the hamburgers. But, like, she's so fixated on, you know, just trying to replenish herself because, obviously, she hasn't had, like, been taken care of too well in, you know, this facility that she was at. Uh, you know, initially, but I thought it was really interesting that, like, okay, so she had her first taste of the cheese boost, then first thing she wants to do right out of the gate when she gets out is go find more, you know? She needs to get more of that dust on her, you know, fingertips. (laughs) Well, to my, like, as someone who, you know, consumes tons of pop culture stuff, my mind (laughs) <laughs> My mind was immediately going to that idea of that you see in like superhero stories or in sort of those types of stories where somebody who has mental powers always has to be like eating calories to fuel <laughs> their power basically and that using their power drains calories and so they have to be like replenishing with junk food and sugar and things like that which i don't know if you guys have ever seen or read any of the variations Mm -hmm. of death note but there's Mm -hmm. a character in that story who is like a genius level detective and he's always eating candy because the calories help fuel his brain yeah maybe that's why i eat so much junk food Mm -hmm. thanks But that's kind of what I was thinking. But that's also, what I was thinking. I was, I was just thinking yeah. South Park the whole time. This, like, yeah. She's never going to get junk food in, a, in, a, in an institution. She's very likely just getting like mm-hmm. macronutrients, <laughs> you know, like just like here's your protein, here's your here's your potato yeah. for carbs. So you know, when you get out into the real really world, you can down. you need some high quality junk food. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like put when how they put the tube down their throat at the well, and we find out later in the movie that she was basically catatonic yeah. up until the point. So they were probably yeah feeding her with like one of those feeding mm-hmm. tube kind of things, like protein shake. So kind of I mean, thing. I also really um, I enjoyed the interaction with Fuzz. Uh, I know the the dude is yeah creepy, but I mean at least he was kind, right? So I mean again, you you get the sense that he's going to try to. Um, you know, attacker. But at the end, I mean, he was he was being a creep, but at least he, you know, he wasn't holding her against her will and it wasn't, you know, forcing her to do stuff. He was just being way too sly and a little gross, but then he turns out to be yeah. nice. So that's, that's cool. That's another example where, um, when she runs into those guys hanging out in front of the quickie mart, uh, <laughs> In the traditional, you know, version of this story, they would have instantly There's assaulted no her, of course. <laughs> um, but they don't. I mean, they they tease her and, and they make comments and stuff, but nobody actually does anything to her. Which I found to be, again, far more 
realistic in a lot of ways where like it you know not to get too into the weeds off the you know off the the path but uh it's just like it, the fact that like again the guardian it's like typically in the, these characters would there would just be like no character to them other than they are right. here to attack the protagonist you know and because of the fact that they're like hoodlum kind of looking characters of course that means they're bad you know but the writing in this movie is really good and i was really impressed because they're actual they act like actual humans you know they're not just there to be evil to the main I mean, you had the the drug dealer who actually gives her his shirt off his Although back. He, he probably thought he was going to get something else. <laughs> well, of course, but uh, you know, didn't, uh, I didn't work say, out. Um, you know, Kate Hudson did a really good job in this movie. I thought she was really great, and um, I also, you know, t- you know, talk about reality. You know, she, you know, she's a single mom working hard of gold. But you know, when she does throw her under the bus to try to get away from the cops or from the cap singular. Yeah. We're the hell we're freaking Craig's friends. Anyway. So, you know, that's also realistic in that, you know, yeah, she'll give you a lot of kindness, but you know, self-preservation is still gonna, you know, be number one. And so, uh, yeah. No, no. Oh no, no, that I was, I, was okay, with that piece. I don't know if you want to add in more on, on the K Hudson. Yeah, no, the, all the characters acted like for the real people boys. where they weren't, they weren't, yeah, except for the frat boys, although, you know, they acted like real <laughs> frat boys, but, <laughs> no, but, uh, but nobody in the movie, I guess, except for the frat boys was fully bad or fully good. Most of the characters you know, did kind of bad things and kind of good things. And some characters did kind of better, more good things than bad things, you know, and others did more bad things than good things. But, um, yeah, it was cool that it wasn't just the stereotypes, you know, the, right. the standard tropes for characters. And we, it's like, it even kind of plays around with it where we think that that character, what was his name? The, main, you know, sleazy guy kind of. Fuzz. Yeah, Fuzz. We think he's going to be bad for sure at the beginning, especially when he's like trying to get her. I mean, he is actively luring her, you know, to a more comfortable spot for, For you know, for sexy things to happen. (laughs) But then it turns out that he's not, you know, so bad. He's, you know, he does basically kind of make her kiss him, but he's not like totally, you know, forcing himself. He's there's that he definite that like sleazy element, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he did give her his shirt. So, you know, Oh, and he looked really familiar and it was torturing <laughs> me. So I had to stop and, and look, <laughs> and he is the guy who plays, I don't know if you've seen the first Deadpool movie, but he's the main villain okay. from the first Deadpool movie. The, the British guy, I think, is Francis or whatever. And, um, but he, yeah, and he's in other stuff too. He's actually a somewhat kind of famous actor. Yeah, he's British. Yeah, and uh, doing his uh, 
I guess like sort of a Florida accent maybe or something. <laughs> but, yeah, do we know where the What's that? takes place, by the way? New Orleans. New Orleans, right, right. Well, uh, Kate Hudson, who was great, seemed to sort of be doing a, that sort of stereotypical New Yorker accent that you mm-hmm. hear a lot, you know? And so I was kind of like, I guess she could be a New Yorker who moved to New Orleans, but I, she's not really doing a New Orleans accent exactly. In fact, I don't know that any of the characters had a like thick nobody had a Southern New girl. Orleans accent. <laughs> Is that movie. what New Orleans sounds like? I have no clue. <laughs> Because of course, we didn't mention, um, I don't know his real name, but the mm-hmm. guy from The Office who plays the cop, who is also really uh, good in this movie, um, he didn't have an accent of any kind. That's probably for the best, than try to make everybody, role. like, mm-hmm. you know, use the same accent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> probably mm-hmm. a good, for sure. good call. <laughs> but he was good, and I kind of... He was, I, I was glad he was in it throughout. I wanted to see more of him because there were kind of sections where he disappeared for a little bit and then he would come back. But I was actually worried that they would do that kind of low budget horror movie thing where they bring in an actor that you know well and you think they're going to be Two in minutes. the movie yeah. and then they're in it for like five minutes and never see him <laughs> again. I thought they were going to do that. So I was relieved that he was actually in the movie for the whole time. Yeah, Craig Robinson had one of my favorite scenes later towards the third act because I was just rolling at that part uh, when he's talking to uh, Charlie. Oh, yeah. At the, at the airport. Uh, when when shit's really starting to hit the fan, but uh, you know that that's later on. But uh, you know I, what I thought was really interesting about Bonnie's characters. You know, obviously she's she's struggling as a single mother, and of course an opportunity arises for her to put herself into a better living position. Uh, not necessarily like better position for her and her son, because like that is a kind of a fractured relationship in its own right. Sure, she still cares about him, uh, but you know Charlie's very yeah. like independent in his own right you know he's constantly left by his lonesome basically uh so seeing like that friendship uh start to flourish with mona lisa was an interesting like pivot in the actual story in itself but of course you know like you know what mona lisa is capable of doing so you know the single mother's like all right you know this is a get rich scheme so we can quickly make a ton of money and then of course as a stripper you know, all, all of a sudden you have all these guys shilling out all this money that all of a sudden they don't have anything left. Yeah. So then all the other girls are not not seeing any cash flow for them either. So that creates, you know, some beef between the dancers as well, which I thought was really great. Because, of course, like, you're going to go all in. You're not just going to go 40% and then, you know, just call it yeah. a day. No, you're yeah, going to take a good what scene. You I like that. I mean, it took me a second to realize what, what, what was happening. I was like, she took all the money from all the dudes and they all walked out. Because they were broke. <laughs> it almost feels like it's like that oh, yeah. monkey's paw kind of thing, you know? Where it's like she she sort of figures out, she's like, I'm so clever and I'm going to use this to get all this money. And then instantly creates this situation where there's all these people out to get her because she ripped them off. And because the main character's power leaves the person completely conscious and aware of what's happening. So 
when she uses people to steal money, they remember what happened and what she did. So they, they hold a grudge against her, of course. And again, I think that's the really, a really good part of the writing and the storytelling where um, it feels like kind of like a fable or like a, like a, um, yeah, like sort of like a, like a fable or a fairy tale kind of where it's like, oh, like here's this thing where you can get everything you want or basically like the monkey's paw, you know, you can get what you want, but there's going to be an equally negative thing that happens to you as a result of using it, you know, and she, of course, ends up having some really bad stuff happen to her. But, and there's that other stripper who, I liked that scene where the other stripper comes up to her and is like, I'm not even mad at you, but karma is going to get you eventually because I know you're doing something messed up here. And then she, and then she doesn't, you know, I get like to this. I like the fact that we get these new kind of movies where it doesn't, things don't have to follow the standard tropes. Cause again, it would be in the normal version of the, the Hollywood version of this movie that there would have been right. a fight between her and the stripper. Or there would have been more of a showdown between Mona Lisa and a more violent sort of opponent, right? Which never really happened. And, I mean, it was it was mm -hmm. a chase scene at the end, but it, she ultimately, uh, ex with the exception of the nurse, she didn't end very mildly with, like, Craig, where he got she got him to shoot himself in the leg. That Those were the only really, like, violent uh, parts that she was involved with. <clears throat> I, f I forget, did she kill the nurse or just the nurse just basically Well, I mean, she gets her to leg, unhook right? her um, her straight jacket after she's already stabbed herself in the leg. Yeah. And, and then, then with the dude away, at, at reception, she just gets him to knock himself out. And that was it. So. Mm -hmm. mm -mm. Yeah, basically, she doesn't kill and then, anyone. Well, and then she has the, the, uh, the part where when Kate Hudson's getting beat up by that uh, the woman at the at the fast food joint you know sort of helps her out that way which you know like i guess that's a good way to introduce you know the characters although i was really happy how they introduced uh, uh craig's character and mona lisa where he's just there at a seat of some drunk ladies by the quickie mart and then you know has, has already heard a little bit about how there is a woman who's escaped from the institution and uh and clearly here's somebody who could really you know be that person yeah, when he's looking, when he that's yeah, what was the, that, what the, was the character's name? Guy, right? I keep calling him Craig. <laughs> actor's name Harold. It's uh, Harold. 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 And I love how uh, he has his leg brace on, and it's like they do an awesome thing where he, you know, yeah. he's always like kind of hobbling <laughs> around on his leg brace, and you can tell he's in a lot of pain because. They always show him like drenched in sweat whenever they, whenever he's kind of run somewhere or moved somewhere because it probably hurts a I lot. I did laugh a lot about struggle, the chasing you know? between Harold and Bonnie, and he's in a, you know, in a. It's not exactly a cast. It's well, it's he's got a, a broken leg, I think, from the shot. I can't remember if he broke anything in. Right. Yeah. It's and, from uh, shooting himself yeah, in the I don't leg. know how. I can't remember how extensive the damage was to his leg. I know his kneecap was fine. But anyways, he's got a brace, and he, so he's hobbling, and then she's in these ginormous shoes that are like, you know, like seven inches tall. So she's like 
making these little steps and he's kind of up and they're going like they're weaving through the people in the middle of you know like a busy street in new orleans and that was hilarious because they were moving so slowly but he kept he kept at them and he did eventually catch up so that was pretty impressive that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but okay, it, let's see what happened. So at this I, point, I don't want to jump uh, ahead too much. We walked through the fact that Mona Lisa escaped from the the institution she was in. She goes to a fast food joint, or she meets the the skaters. She gets shoes. She meets Fuzz. She gets a shirt. She goes to a uh, the fast food joint. Meets Kate Hudson. Gets involved in a fight. Then goes to the strip joint with Kate Hudson. Manages to fleece the the frat boys. I'm not sure if they were frat boys, but they were kind of dressed a little bit like that. They not they're not necessarily. Yeah. I think they were. It seems like they said okay. they were for some um, and reason. Then I after they were. that was the chase. Wait, no, no. They go back to Kate Hudson's house. They meet Charlie. I want to say. I kind of wish. What's that? I was going to say that uh, the kid's character, um, I kind of felt like there was, he was too mature for his age. I mean, I know that he's like the son of, you know, a stripper who's, you know, leaving him alone for long stretches of time. But, you know, there's a lot of uh, advanced pop culture stuff in his room, basically. Both of it, or maybe I just don't know 10 year olds very well, which is totally Totally understandable. I don't hang out with a lot of kids, <laughs> but uh, I just thought like his drawing abilities were too mm-hmm. advanced. His his musical taste and the way that his room was decorated was too advanced. I would have believed that a little bit more from a thirteen year old, and I think that would have been a really interesting dynamic where like it's just a friendship, you know. And because uh, yeah, like I said, like I, I feel like a ten year old would be a little bit more, I don't know, like attached to his mom. Although this kid was, yeah. I mean most. Most of the drawings too were like of half naked women. On top of that, <laughs> well, his mom's a stripper, <laughs> so she, he's drawing, uh, and he has like he. I feel like this is reading into it a little bit, but I feel like they were kind of saying that he has kind of a thing for pretty women because his mom is a stripper and he's around strippers a lot, and he has all these drawings of women who probably like the women that his mom works with and stuff like that and then when he meets the main character he draws her and everything and he's kind of got this you know thing it's like i mean obviously he's like a young boy he's growing up but it does feel a bit mature it's also very like uh the movie obviously yeah. i think is supposed to take place in the modern day i'm pretty sure um but his room is like got Aussie, multiple Aussie posters. Um, it's got a Randy Rhodes poster, poster, which is Aussie's guitar. Uh-huh. Yeah, this, it's yeah. 80s kitsch, basically. It's like Aussie 80s skating. Um, there's a Suicidal Tendencies poster. Um, it felt, you know, it was all of a sudden like, Almost like Stranger Things level of eighties yeah, nostalgia. Very, in he had his very room, advanced coolness for which, his age. That's why I wanted to see him be a little bit older. Yeah, <laughs> but it could have come from his mom because she would have been the right age for that, True. and she probably was. You know, an it's Aussie funny. Fan. At that he point, uh, Joe was still watching listening. the movie with me, and the first thing he noticed was like, "That's a Firebird." So he's got a. Um, 
we're what we're assuming is a fairly nice guitar as well for a 10 year old but it also i mean like you if we did a little bit of you know mental gymnastics you could say like well you know if his mom's feeling guilty for for leaving him alone so much at night while she goes to work then it makes sense that she would try to fill that hole with a bunch of material stuff right Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she has money because she they sort of seem to imply that even aside from getting more money with the Lisa, oh, yeah. with Lee, what's her, uh, Mona Lisa, um, that she probably made money they, even before that, you know, because they show she's obviously That's very good looking. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, New Orleans, I think you can buy a house for a lot, I, I think is still relatively, although maybe not in that area. She seemed to live in the main area. It might be expensive, but probably a more affordable lifestyle in New Orleans than other places. But yeah, I mean, they have a nice house though. Exactly. They have a two-story house. And that's the thing too, is like, she, uh, she's not like a bad mom in the blatant, like, kind of obvious way, she definitely provides for the kid and gets him money and stuff and food. And he clearly is not, like, you know, lacking really in any way other than the fact that right. she doesn't really act like a real mom to him. You know, she acts kind of like a friend or, like, I thought it was sister uh, or hilarious. You know? This is just as an aside. So, um, okay, when I, we meet Kay Hudson yeah. or Bonnie at the fast food joint, like she doesn't look that great there. But by the time she's on stage, it's really working. I was like, wow, she looks fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it was those awkward little shorts <laughs> she was wearing, I think. <laughs> and there were some shots where she looked exactly oh, really? like her uh, mom, Goldie Hawn. It was crazy. It was like, wow, she really like. That was a little creepy, John. Like <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, no, but like, Goldie Hawn is uh, is a sex symbol from, and even kind of from my generation, uh, more even, mm -hmm. yeah, pretty 80s. much, right? Like overboard, eighties. Uh, <laughs> Bird on a wire. Was she in um, house sitter? <laughs> Um, First Wives Club. <laughs> I'm a bit of a Goldie Hawn fan. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, she goes back to the '60s even uh, with Private Benjamin. Uh, was it? They or... call it the Laughing. Oh yeah, oh, I Private could go Benjamin. All day. I saw that in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so we, and we don't really get much backstory on, we get start to get a little backstory on uh on mona lisa where you know we find out that her parents dropped her off at the asylum right and then she was just there for her entire life pretty much because i was wondering because the um you know the cop character thinks that she's a demon and she kind of acts like a alien in terms of not knowing anything about anything. But then they do at least explain that she was basically catatonic for most of her life and her parents just kind of Yeah, I mean like in the whole in the, the title in of the movie is Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon. Maybe it was something between her age and the moon that triggered her uh, her abilities. 
Yeah, I mean, like, and, That's and, kind of the and again, going back right? to uh, that interview from with that director, she made a big deal about talking about how um, she likes the idea of when you're going out into the world and you're interacting with people, you don't immediately get everybody's backstory up front, right? You make assumptions based on what you're seeing, what you're hearing. Mm-hmm. And then as you're getting to know them, and this is something that she mentioned in, in an interview that I saw recently, that as you're getting to know them, you're, you make a better, you create a better idea or a better picture in your head of, the, of people. And so, at, you know, she was mentioning how that part was intentional in the movie. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad, like, this was set in New Orleans. Is that kind of, like, played into the supernatural aspect, too? Because so much of New Orleans is kind of, like, based on the macabre. Uh, you know, like the ghost tours and things like that. So it really played into the hand. Uh, in regards to like Mona Lisa and like the kid though, Charlie, when they were in <laughs> the room, like moshing, I was like, I, I was just waiting for like Mona Lisa's turn and for her to start like windmilling. And I, I was just, I was waiting for her to like just punch the kid like, accidentally, of course. But like that never happened. <laughs> but uh, you know, didn't happen. And that was a funny, the, he said a funny thing, too, where uh, she asks him what he's doing, and he says, hashing, which is funny, because I don't know about you guys, but I've only ever, I've heard the term hesher before, which is a ter- which is a slang term for somebody that's like a metalhead, like a stoner metalhead is a hesher, but I've never heard the term heshing as, you know, moshing, you know, kind of thing. But I thought that was kind of funny because I was like, oh, is that a thing? Do people say that? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we're just too old. That might be a new thing. They were playing, I believe, I'm pretty sure if I remember right, that was another High on Fire song. So I was really happy to see that. (laughs) But, uh, and yeah, he kind of... He, he sort of, uh, and this, just to bring up, you mentioned the movie The Guest um, earlier. This movie right. reminded me like, a lot of The Guest, where you have that character who is re- the dangerous kind of character who really, could potentially kill really anyone well or be yeah. really powerful. And he comes in and kind of has a positive effect on the yeah. family and everything, and the kid. It kind of had that feel, and same with the kind of neon where it takes place in mm-hmm. modern times, but it kind of feels 80s at the same time, that kind of similar feel to it. And uh, and that's what it, it kind of reminded me of those scenes, like the scene from Terminator 2, you know, where uh, John Connor teaches, um, like, Arnold about, <laughs> you know, hasta la vista, dude, and then... You know, like where the kid sort of teaches the robot or whatever about how to act more normal or be like a normal person. Which, of course, you know, and I'm sure you guys were wondering, I didn't do any reading or looking about what her sort of explanation is supposed to be, you know, like what her power is or, you know, how things work. I kind of felt like the most basic, like kind of standard is that mm-hmm. explanation is just that she's sort of like a mutant, basically. But some She has some strange, I don't know if they implied anything about how when she I thought there was an implication that she was from North Korea. So then there might be some sort of like weird mm-hmm. government. Which is uh, maybe where Kim Jong, uh, the, 
Yeah. And that her parents, like, escaped from there, basically. Well, it was kind of like she was seeing snippets of, like, the destruction on the news. So I think they were implying that, like, maybe she was a force of destruction where she could, like, bring about a lot more damage than what she was actually doing. Well, and definitely. When they de- that is definitely, because, I mean, you can get that from watching it where she could be so much worse and do so much worse than she actually does. And there's that definite kind of, you know, they did a little, it's interesting you bring that up too, because it ties with um, where uh, when the cop guy is trying to get her to put the handcuffs on, is trying to get the herself <laughs> or trying to get Goldie Hunt or I mean, um, Katie Hudson to put the handcuffs on her. And, uh, and Mona Lisa says uh, like you think you're powerful why because you have these and holds up the handcuffs that you know it's kind of like that um they're kind of making a commentary about like political like power like authoritarian power versus like the power of the people you know or something yeah i guess the alternative would be maybe they would Mm. see mona lisa as kind of like a sleeper agent so to speak maybe she's just been asleep for like these 10 years and she's just now waking up but it seemed like there could have been that implication that some kind of experiment or something was going on and her parents kind of took her away from it and brought her to the States, but then she went catatonic. And so they ended up just kind of dropping her off or whatever, but that something could have happened. I'm really liking that made her the way she is. I'm really liking T's approach that maybe she was meant to be a sleeper agent, but her parents took her away and were unable to get her to a place where she could be homed properly. And so then as she became activated as a sleeper agent, she she doesn't have handlers and she didn't have a a training to be destructive. And so she's just making her way through the world and, you know, with more power than she thinks, than what people think she she has. Yeah. Which they showed that they, they tried to do, they tried to, get her right. into foster homes and she kept getting rejected Neat. from mm-hmm. foster homes. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Almost, I mean, and not to, this movie is very different from Stranger Things, but kind of that Stranger Things, you know, as where with Eleven, where maybe she was you know, some kind of experiment gone awry. Like, as you're saying, T, where, you know, she was meant to be some kind of weapon, basically, that the government mm-hmm. is creating. Uh, but, and then, you know, it, the kind of, it brings in that kind of free will and choice thing where just cause she has this extreme power that could be really destructive. She pretty much chooses not to use it in that way because she's just like this regular person and she runs into people who are generally nice to her and treat her well. And so she doesn't, you know, turn into a monster basically and and start running amok. <laughs> yeah, she gets her French fries and she's, she's content. Po- yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> she doesn't. Yeah, she doesn't kill any of those guys at the gas, at the quickie martyr. I was just gonna say that it's a it's and a I, sweet sort of oh, uh, you know plot twist, not even a really a plot twist, but a I guess part of the plot, just basically that uh, with through her interactions, not all of the characters, whether it's Fuzz or Bonnie or even Harold <laughs> and Shirley, she picks up different um, 
skills on how to deal with people and how to make her way through the world, right? So with 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 Bonnie, she's understanding that, mm -hmm. you know, she can't really trust fully everybody and but that, you know, she figures out how to make a little bit of money. With Fuzz, she figured oh yeah, what's up, John? Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll be right back. Go ahead. That, that um with uh, with Harold, she understands how to interact with the police, how to avoid them, uh, and so everybody in 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 this section of her of her or this part of her life are are given her life skills that she will be able to use in order to survive in in Detroit. <laughs> and you know, she's got a bundle of money, and she's got you know uh, good hair. That that it wasn't a way. No, no, yeah, they Fuzz was actually did a really good job doing her hair, and she's got. A little bit of style now and <clears throat> and she's got a sense of herself and a sense of the world so that was nice you know uh i did feel like i wanted to see a lot more <laughs> like what happened to her a bigger splash maybe but you know what thinking back to the movie uh a girl walks home alone at night i get that title mixed up all the time uh it's uh it's they're very similar stories right mm -hmm. and it's just basically like a, a slice of life for these women with with really with supernatural abilities as they're making their way through. And in this particular one is like the Hollywood treatment basically given to that first movie that she that she made. And I, I love too like with this story, obviously as uh, Kate Hudson's character gets more greedy as the movie progresses, that's when you really start to see uh kind of like the investigation aspect uh from Officer Harold really starting to converge into it because Obviously, Mona Lisa is attached to this. She's conning all these people. Mm -hmm. You know, they're taking five hundred dollars out of the ATM, and of course, the cameras are there. They're not really thinking anything of it. So, you know, the word the word is getting out that uh, you know something is going on, and then that's when they, you know, the the whole chasing really starts to like kick in, where everything's starting to close in uh, on them. But you know, like we we have to talk about like after you know the frat boys get scammed, uh, obviously. We kind of have a falling out between Mona Lisa and uh, Bonnie, and the frat boys end up tracking Bonnie down uh, after one of her shifts, you know, in the, and you know they they corner her, you know, in the streets basically, and they just beat the shit out of her, and like they didn't hold back, but of course, like initially she's like, "Well, what the fuck are we yeah. like doing here?" You know, because she thought like they were gonna try to rape her, basically. Yeah, mm. yeah I oh, like. The movie, the movie was awesome, but it almost kind of lost me at that point because tonally the movie is so kind of light yeah. and more kind of fun. When it got to that point, it was like, oh, this feels too dark and too real, you know, uh, for this movie. But then I think they handled it really well. Like what happens after and how the character, what happens to the character after that, I think ends up, ends up pulling me back in where I, I was like, I, okay, cool. Like I'm back in again. Mm -hmm. But it just felt too far. I thought it was really sweet at the very end when part. Charlie and, and Bonnie get to reunite again at the hospital. And of course, his first reaction to seeing his mom so badly beat is you know he's he's devastated but she she brushes it away like that whole feeling and starts kind of light lightly scolding him uh you know for for running away like she had me so scared basically goes into mom mode so that he can feel better about the fact that she's so brutally you know beaten so that that, that was 
I thought that was really sweet. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and oh. I want to be careful how <laughs> I word this, but because uh, it's going to be slightly <laughs> spicy. Uh, it's like it kind of relates to the monkey's paw thing again, where it's like she kind of generated so much bad karma from doing the wrong thing that it was like, now this is kind of like karma coming back to get her when those guys beat her up. And I, it sounds messed up to say that because it's like, well, nobody deserves that. Like they could have done they could have just like taken all her stuff and taken off or whatever. And it's kind of brutal what they do to her. But then again, also on top of that, she kind of, the way the character arcs are going and the way things are playing out, she, her character kind of has to hit rock bottom or else she's never going to change. Like she's so kind of like has figured out her game in life that she's never going to become like a better person because she has no reason to in her mind. And so to get her to that place where she can be like a real mom to her kid, uh, she kind of has to go through this horrible experience, <laughs> which, you know, you're making a face. face. That's the thing. I don't, in real life, in real life, I don't agree with this concept <laughs> at all. But I think in terms of the storytelling in the movie, I, I feel like they, the filmmakers were going for this idea of her hitting sure. rock bottom. You know, when you hear about alcoholics or people who are living like, re like really bad drug addicts where they're not going to change or become like a better person unless like- I'm not sure that, uh, that I 100% agree. And not that I really like, have like a lot against what you just said, but it's, um, I felt more that um, <clears throat> she was very brazen with the, the activity, right? With the, with the thefts. So, I mean, she was aware that when these guys, when she was taking the money from these guys, that they were fully conscious and that they would, that they would know her, right? And so she was doing this to everybody left and right at the ATM even. Like they had no, they, they didn't spend any amount of time trying to hide from the cameras. They were just, you know... Again, just very brazen, right? And so it makes sense that it would come to this because, I mean, I've never been to New Orleans, but it doesn't sound like a huge town. So, you know, to be burning so many bridges, you know? And I just kind of felt like at the very end when she did reconnect with Charlie in the hospital, like, I didn't really get the sense that she learned much. I get the sense that, you know, even when she was in that alley and, you know, she was talking to the guys right before they beat her, she just, you know, you know, she knew she was up against it and she was trying to be as calm as possible. Right. And she was, and she was trying to sort of, uh, negotiate her way out of the situation. And I don't mean that with like, you know, you know, literally, I mean like with her tone of voice, with how casual she was, she was trying to, you know, diffuse the situation by trying to make it more casual than they were, than they were making it. And uh, even when she asked him, like, well, what are you going to, are you going to fuck me? And then, and then they're like, no. And then even, even when she's in the hospital, like, I just felt like she was, you know, she was just treating it as another thing that happened in life. So I didn't really get a sense that she like changed a lot. I feel like more than anything else, it was like everything just caught up. And if anything, she might be smarter 
you know, in her future, you know, uh, sly endeavors. And, um, and that last scene that I mentioned with her, with her son was just sort of, you know, like that she's just, she's just going to keep going to try to provide for them as much as possible. I don't know. Like that, that's just kind of the sense that I got from it. No, definitely. I, I agree with that for sure. But I, I would just point out that an interesting thing about the timeline is that the son has no idea that she's been injured or is in the hospital. And even when he talks to her on the phone, right. there's nothing in the conversation that lets him know. So he he never knows at any point that she's, she's mom and she's trying to identify badly or is in the hospital. Yeah. Which is smart. And that's smart writing too, because his decision to go back to her is yeah. not based on the fact that she's injured. It's just based on the fact that she just wants to go back. He just wants to go back to her. Mm -hmm. um, but I do kind of feel like, cause when she comes out of being unconscious in the hospital, there is definitely that aspect where she's kind of like, well, I'm just <laughs> rolling with the punches. No, no pun intended, but she's kind of like, well, I'm, moving on like I'm you know I'm not horribly injured so I'll heal up and keep going but there is at the same time that's happening she also finds out that her son is now disappeared and she doesn't know where he is and so I think there's maybe that moment of like oh my god you know like I am all messed up in the hospital and now my son is missing and I don't know where he is and what the hell, like now I'm in this, you know, completely horrible situation, you know, that kind of made her be like, I should, you know, kind of get my shit together a little more, but I do feel like it's that my own analysis is flawed because in the movie, she really is a good mom. I think generally, that the character arc of her becoming a better mom almost kind of doesn't quite work because I don't, I don't think she was necessarily. I agree. And the thing is, like, at the end of the, like, if we you, try to first... fast forward from the ending to say, like, okay, say it's two months and the bruises are gone, although those probably, those suckers are going to stick around for a while. But what I'm saying is, like, she's healed up, you know? There's no changing in their life other than maybe Charlie being nicer to his mom. But I mean, ultimately, like what she's doing for a living is probably the most lucrative thing she can be doing, you know, given her circumstances. And, um, and, mm. you know, the, the it, it just doesn't seem like they're like what I can't think of what changes can happen other than them being, you know, more, you know, demonstrably, you know, nicer to each other. Right. Loving towards each right, other and right. stuff. Yeah, yeah, being more kind of openly, uh, right. That's the main change because really she's gonna. I mean, she she's gonna have a hard time sort of going back to stripping because she's gonna have. But a she's lot of good at it. Damage until I mean, she can completely heal up. But exactly, ultimately, it would probably she's probably gonna go back to it because, but yeah. uh, you know. We're obviously speculating, but yeah, there's not a huge amount of change. That's at least in terms of the story, what we're given with the story, there isn't a a, a big place for her to go um, in terms of changing. Is, how her would you say um, that much. just 
looking forward more because I mean everything that she did with Mona Lisa was very short sighted, right? It was the it was the the you know the the quick the the the, the quick money versus really having like a, a longer term idea of, of how she could benefit from this. Not that I'm supporting her, you know, using Mona Lisa to you know scam people, but again, it was like five hundred dollars here, three hundred dollars there. Like it was it's small potatoes, right? I mean, it all adds up. And it, it's funny you say that because that uh, plays into how she lives, where being, where basically stripping is fast, short-term money too. Like you can make a lot of money, but it's all kind of quick, short-term. You just kind of go in there and make your cash and leave. And so it's it's that same mindset of I just guess so. like so kind of hustling like, for money, yeah. you know, kind of thing. But she doesn't. Although she does need to come up with like a more long term plan. <laughs> if Goldie Hawn's <laughs> any indication, easily into her sixties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's funny that like we can even have this conversation because it just shows how good, yeah. how well this movie's written, where it has like real characters that you can actually uh, talk about this kind of stuff. Because a lot of movies, especially some horror movies, don't go to like that depth, you know. Yeah, we're not really talking about the characters of the Guardian and what they're doing exactly. the next day. <laughs> that movie was bad. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> seen... mm. Yeah, I don't think there was any character I really cared about what happened to in that movie. Except maybe the baby. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah we, exactly. we, don't, we don't want to see you become a tree carpet. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, I think it's funny because it's like you, when you, men, you mentioned earlier how uh, Mona Lisa kind of learns skills from people and learns, uh, I think, from people and is kind of like figuring out how to get through life and stuff, that that's like a big theme of the movie because when we got to the end of the movie where, you know, they go to the airport and everything. And there's that cool scene where uh, the son realizes he wants to go home to his mom. And so he, you think he's going to, for a second, you think he's going to betray Mona Lisa to do that. And then you realize he's come yeah, up with a clever that. plan to help divert <laughs> the police. Yes, let's, let's grab the nearest Asian lady. That was so funny. And oh. she was like, oh, you think all Asian people look the same? Uh, that was so uh, funny. And it's like awfully uh, good coincidence that they just happened to be a young uh, Asian lady walking by when he did that. But uh, But I was thinking during the end, you know, it's like, for one thing, a clever thing this movie did was that her people's knowledge of her never expanded to the point where like government agents were coming after her mm -hmm. or like larger groups of police were coming after her. She was pretty much only being investigated by the, you know, cop and his partner basically. And so, and their crimes were small time enough that she never attracted enough attention where it was like, 
she'll never be able to get away and just live her life. She'll always have people chasing after her, but they kind of didn't do that. They set it up where she really could escape. Well, I liked and, how and they explained it a little bit with um, the way pursuit. that Harold managed mm-hmm. or communicated what happened to him, right? So um, the guy at the reception for the institution where she escaped, he was really vocal about what she did, but Harold was very aware of how crazy that would sound, so never really told anybody. So he always came up with plausible um, explanations for the things that were happening to him, why he shot himself in the leg, why he handcuffed himself, or how he ended up handcuffed to a, <laughs> to a gate. But uh, um, so I can, you know, it, it kind of creates, you know, plausible, you know, a, a plausible outcome for why people, why she's not being found out for being, um, for having supernatural powers, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I love too, like when I actually get to the airport and you know, they're just trying to find like the first flight out. You know, they're going through like the options and it's like, all right, you could, uh, there's a flight here to uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I can't remember what the second one was. And then they decide to land on Detroit, Michigan. I was like, who the Cleveland fuck is going to choose either of those Where two options? <laughs> Yeah, those those are both terrible options and severe downgrades from where they were. I was also thinking during that part that uh, I feel like in this day and age, buying a plane ticket that way would raise so many red flags that they would just be like, they would just get on the phone to security and be like, uh, someone just bought I a ticket. I think you can do that. With cash. The, <laughs> yeah, with cash for the first. I found like maybe you want to take a look at them because the way things are now, like it, like in the past, you could, I feel like you could have done that just fine, but nowadays they're gonna call the cops on you if you if you pay for a ticket. If you say, "What's the soonest flight out of town?" Here's cash There's for the a- ticket. They're just like, "Oh, child, uh, police, hello." <laughs> Wait, oh, and I want to just. That just reminded me, I also want to just rewind about a random funny part, is when the the hospital worker guy in the beginning, when she's escaping the hospital, when he pushes the alarm button right, yeah. for the, uh, the when, you know, she is escaping, <laughs> and it's like red sirens turn on, and it's like, wah, 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 wah. it's like... <laughs> I'm pretty, not to nitpick, but I'm pretty sure that's not what happens. It's a silent yeah, alarm. Yeah, aggravate that the situation with like somebody who is potentially dangerous. Like the and there's no protection for the man behind the desk. Mm. <laughs> there's not even like a... And also, not to, and just to also, to kind of like deep cut nerd out for a second, I, uh, when the that orderly guy, you know, the or whatever he was like the nurse orderly guy, um, bashes his head into the TV, it reminded me of Nightmare on Elm Street three, where that takes place in the insane asylum and the girl smashes <laughs> her head. You know, welcome to prime time, bitch, and the girl smashes her head into the TV. Uh, that's just like completely random, but. But to go back to the airport, uh, it was the cool thing about this movie also that I liked was that uh, I was thinking um, when she, so he, the, the 
Charlie, you know, ends up ditching out on her and she realizes, okay, well, I'm just going to go get on the plane and take off by myself. Um, I was totally thinking, you know, like, how is she ever going to make, it's like to go back to the people under the stairs when they escaped into the world, you know, it's like, how is she going to survive at all in the real world? Uh, but then I was, I thought, cause the, and the, a testimony to how great this movie is, I think, is that it's like, well, she has on one hand, she knows pretty much nothing about the world or how it works or people and how they work, but she has this ability that can give her an advantage and she's a good enough person that she's not going to use it in an evil way. And so it's kind of like, oh, well, she'll, to she'll be able to do it. Like she, she has the tools to get to make it in life with these big disadvantages working against her. And so there's this definite like note of hope where it's like, oh, well, you know, on one hand, yeah, she's going to have a really hard time, but she kind of has these set of skills that will give her this advantage that will help her to live. It like has a very hopeful ending. You know, she's really like, excited to be on this airplane yeah. and like the experience of being on an airplane is, is, um, is, is a, is a rush. That's how they put it. They portrayed it. Right. Which is true. I like airplanes, but, uh, uh, yeah, like, mm -hmm. I, it, yes, it ends with a note of hope, but then also to your point, like she can control people's minds, so she'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. She'll be able to get an apartment. Well, she and, can't uh, persuade people; she can just get them to move totally. their body, right? So I guess I... you're thinking about it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, she, yeah. she can evict people. It's fine. That's the that's kind of the fun thing about her power is that it's not like a um it's not like a godlike power where she can literally make people do whatever she wants. She can her power is really specific. She can just sort of can she can like puppet people basically, mm -hmm. but she's not really controlling their minds or their perception or anything. They're completely aware of what's happening. And they're and they can talk and and express themselves, but she can sort of puppet their limbs, basically. I have to say too, like when they were on their way to the airport and Fuzz was dropping them off, and you know Charlie kept like talking himself through like all of the steps at the airport to like try to like calm his nerves, and you saw Fuzz like reach into like you know the containers on like the the front <laughs> of the car. I was like. Oh my god, is he is he gonna drug the kid? Like, is he gonna give the kid some downers to like calm his fucking chill? But no, it was just it was just getting like a stick of gum. <laughs> I thought he was giving him edibles at first. <laughs> but I, I I love that part actually. Uh, I'm glad you bring that part up. That was one of uh, that my favorite parts of the movie when he was like, "Here, chew gum." He's he's like. When you chew gum, you look calm. He's like, see? And when, when he, the kid starts chewing the gum, he's like, see? Don't you look calm when you chew gum? He's like, you look like you're in control of what you're doing. <laughs> Funny. It's just like, that was a great speech uh, about that. And it's kind of funny, too, because it's just like, it's kind of like, 
chewing gum, you know, like, it's not really, like, true, but to someone like him, to that character, chewing gum looks cool and calm and in control. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, not, it's like, in real life, like, not so much. In fact, there's probably a lot of people that are annoyed when people chew gum around them. But to him, he was like, that's cool people chew gum. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, awesome. and I, I also love the fact that after we, we do the whole Asian exchange to m- ensure that Mona Lisa makes it onto the flight to Detroit, Michigan. <laughs> Terrible place to land. Besides the point. But, like, when when uh, <laughs> Officer Harold is, like, interrogating poor Charlie, you know, he's, like, trying to get the answers, like, what, what flight is, you know, Mona Lisa on? He lies to him initially. And then, like, the whole time, you know, like, his officer buddy is, like, trying to calm him down. Like, hey, man, like, you know, maybe you're taking it a little too far. He's just a kid. And Charlie's like, I just want to go see my mom. (laughs) But it's just, like, just the amount of outrage coming from Craig Robinson had me laughing so hard. Because it's like, man, he's really going in on this kid. Yeah. (laughs) And it's it's... Yeah, and I love the way his partner was, like, getting more and more, like, mm-hmm. come on, leave him alone, was getting more on the kid's side and less on uh, Craig's side during that. And that's the great thing about the way the story is done, too, where the things that happen to to him are so – this movie takes place so much in the real world that – the things that happen to him sound totally stupid and outlandish if he says them to people like, oh, she controlled me. She made me shoot myself in the leg. Like that's, you would never believe that if he told you that. You'd be like, oh, okay, you're kind of a psycho. Like, you know, and so like that's, no one will end up chasing her because nobody's going to believe him or believe the people that she did stuff to because it's like, well, that that's totally unbelievable. That would never happen. And so she's safe in that way. That's like the really the cool thing about the writing and the story. Because, again, to say like, you know, to compare this it was to the MCU this was to be like, like oh, a yeah, traditional she's Hollywood yeah. movie. Right. And there would be government agents. The government would be aware of her and they would be pursuing her so that they could get her and turn her into a weapon for the government, you know, or whatever. They'd be pursuing her to capture her so they could dissect her and study her. But they don't do any of that because in real life, nobody would ever believe you. You know, it's like the people she robbed at the ATMs. Literally, all they did was just have the people take out $500 and hand it to them. They didn't, you know, threaten them. They didn't do anything weird. They just were like, Hey, give me $500. The person Mm -hmm. did it. Uh, So you can't, it's like, even though that person says, I didn't want to give them the money. There's no gun. There's no evidence of any crime. Really? You know, it would be very kind of hard to prove if it went to court that they did something overtly wrong you know and uh she could even say uh you know um i keep thinking goldie hahn uh you know uh <laughs> what's her name Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson could <clears throat> could even say you know oh like i'm a you know stripper and he owed me money from the strip club and so he was just paying me 
for that. You know, there's all kinds of excuses. So I love the fact that it totally works in terms of the writing that she could escape and that, um, that, you know, in that interrogation scene, it would actually go that way in real life. You mm-hmm. know, they would just be like, all right, this is stupid. Like, let the kid go home and we'll keep looking for this suspect. And they probably wouldn't even look for her that hard, really, because the main cop character, he's got more of a personal thing because she made him shoot himself. And so he kind of has more of a personal grudge to catch her because really they're just looking for somebody that escaped from a, you know, an institution. And it's like, on one hand, while sure, the police would look for someone that escaped from an institution in real life, you know, people walk out of institutions and right. It's not in real life. It's not that high of a priority. And and they did that in this movie really well too. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, MCU where it's like, oh my God, you know, she's a threat to national security. And so I do also have a hot take theory that popped into my head about her as well for kind of movie or horror movie kind of connection, which is that sort of occurred to me that she is like those characters that you see in the grudge or the ring, you know, like the, the, um, like Japanese and Korean horror movies where you have the young girl with the long stringy hair who can control people's minds or, you know, in the ring, she can kind of do that stuff. She may, maybe she's one of, she's like that, you know, and in the ring, uh, that girl, you know, she exhibits weird powers and her parents basically give her up to a, a, a foster home or like to an orphanage. And then she, I think, is adopted and and then her parents basically throw her down the well in that movie. But she, in some ways, she kind of is like that type I have to of say, too, that um, I enjoyed the very last scene, you know, just a little bit of closure, a little bit of satisfaction after Kay Hudson got beat up. Where the 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 frat boys, which is what we're calling them now, are walking by the strip joint, and the bouncer recognizes them, and then just with very little emotion, just sort of like taking care of business, you know, he's eating a hot dog, he puts down his hot dog, and he punches out two of them. I don't know why he doesn't punch out the third one, but uh, punches punches out two of them, and then they're they're whining about their broken nose, and he goes right back to his seat and finishes his hot dog. Yeah, that was awesome. That was, it's like karma. I mean, he could have thrown a couple more punches because they didn't that, really get the movie, what they deserved, basically. but it's at least they it, got a little taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a great character too in the in the movie when he was, when the cop oh, came okay. and was asking him if, uh, what, you know, if Kay Hudson worked in there and he was messing with him for a while and kind of playing games with him. And then he was like, yeah, she's in there. Go in. And then he immediately texts her. There's a cop here looking for you. Like, that was awesome. Yeah, he was a cool character. Yeah, gotta gotta look out for your own, which is what he did in both occasions. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, that was great, though, that they got their comeuppance in the end. But I was wondering, because I think 
when they beat her up, it's possible, I think, we only saw those two guys actually mm. hitting her, that the I third guy maybe didn't so. actually yeah. hit her or kick her. But I can't totally remember Was that Minnie in the room I making noises? Maybe that's what happened, but I'm not sure. <laughs> She's like, are you doing your podcast yeah, from home? <laughs> that's his cat. <laughs> mm -hmm. The cat. I mean, I, I kind of figured. <laughs> She's complaining. But mm -hmm. yeah, uh, and so, of course, uh, Mona Lisa... The weird thing, too, by the way, with her name is, did she ever tell anybody what her name was? No. Because they just suddenly knew what her, they knew her name. Like, they called her Mona Lisa. But I don't remember her ever, like, letting anybody know that her name was. I liked how uh, uh, they say the name Mona so much Lee? that it stops me, the, the, the painting. <laughs> I stopped, you know, at first it's like you're thinking of, and then of course they play the music, the song to it. The <laughs> but then they, they say her name, or at least Bonnie says her name so much that you disassociate mm -hmm. it from, from the painting and just kind of, it doesn't sound like, you know, the, the name of a painting. It just sounds like somebody's name. It's Mona. Mona Lisa. <laughs> you can get it too. Mona Lisa! <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and they play the song a little bit, of mm -hmm. course. Yeah. I Which I thought was actually that, maybe like yeah, the cheesiest cheesy. aspect. Can of you the pick movie up Minnie? Can we see her? Or no, is she gonna? Is she gonna lash out? <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't want to be on camera, but she's a star. She's running away. She of course, of course. <laughs> she <laughs> Minnie, come here. Come here. Well, that's my apple. No, John, I know what you do to cats on this podcast. Oh, there she is. Don't show them my asshole. <laughs> no butthole images. Minnie is, what, 10 or 11? Oh, there we go. Perfect. She's 12. <laughs> Time to start saving up for She's the quinceañera. She's 12. <laughs> totally. <laughs> also, she's not a yeah. fan of mine, so, yeah, put that out there. Hopefully she didn't see me She's in the computer. Like, oh, fuck that bitch. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. So, so on that note, obviously we don't know uh, what happens to Mona Lisa when she lands in Detroit. Kind of left it open ended. Yeah, but, uh, you know, fine. she has enough tools to survive on her own, no problem. I'm sure. And they could definitely have a sequel for sure. Although, I feel like the sequel would almost have to be something kind of drastically different, where it's like, we see her almost like a TV sitcom, like, trying to live a normal life, but sort of being an alien with superpowers. <laughs> mm -hmm. This feels a bit, I mean, it, the way that it kind of wasn't the traditional movie structure, it felt almost kind of like a TV show, like it could be a, you know, a netflix eight episode kind of series thing you know what i mean and it's just kind of her yeah that'd be neat moving through you know just kind of having adventures going along through life which this movie kind of felt like in a lot of ways it was sort of like short stories or in a way you know move, having different little encounters and things 
And that was a funny scene too. The uh, <laughs> the the like, why are you looking at my boyfriend? Also, like, I feel like Kate Hudson like, should have been able to that take girl tried that to very small woman. Like, I mean, she was very petite, and um, I feel like well, I definitely <laughs> could have taken her. But uh, yeah, that's Kate Hudson shouldn't have lost that fight, especially when she went in with such high confidence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she seems like she's probably been in some fights in her life that she should know how to fight. Mm. But yeah, great movie overall. I definitely thought it was, you know, uh, up there in the higher levels of current movies yeah. for sure. Yep. And now you have a reason to go check out her earlier work, like A Girl yeah, Walks definitely. Home Alone at Night, which is a pretty fun mm -hmm. one. Uh, but yeah, like, you know, it was a new release. It just came out uh, September 30th. So it's like this past Tuesday. Uh, so, you know, wanted to hit it out early. Because, like, this mm -hmm. was really, like, the first week that we're like, all right, well, like, what do we want to do? Because we were all kind of, like, I indifferent about, like, the monsters. You know, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I, I, I had watched I it, it but, like, I wasn't okay. too impressed with um, it. I thought it was fun. You watched it? It seems to be set up for, like, a series, right? Because, I mean, the ending was super open-ended, like, oh, we got money again, we're rich, and we're in Hollywood. So. Or mm -hmm. sequel. Yeah. And, and it, it, it kind of was super cute, and it just made me think how sweet it is that those actors are friends, and they've yes. probably, you know, been working for together for decades, and I thought it was cute. But, yeah, it wasn't like, you know, oh, it's so good. But I was. Mm -hmm. I was just gonna say the the psycho Billy part was pretty great. I, I mean, like, because at one point, um, you know, he's got a band, and he's like the the bass player and the drummer are like greasers, and they look pretty cool. And that was, hmm? yeah, yeah. That was that was definitely like the favorite part of the movie for me. Um, but yeah, overall, like very mm -hmm. colorful, like, you know, set designs and whatnot, Ooh. but you know, kind of lackluster overall. Um, I did watch Hocus <gasps> Pocus 2 awesome. uh, yesterday, I haven't seen it. which honestly was yeah. pretty good. I had a good time with that, but that was also like, that was also I, uh, like my I childhood. I saw some negative but, uh, reviews and I was really it's, it's, scared it's to watch it. I haven't one. seen it yet because I was afraid that it wasn't going to be good, but yeah, screw the negative critics, right? Mm-hmm. Except for, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what's her name? Uh, the actors and everything, right? Yes. Isn't it? Yeah. Oh, she... I don't know what she's up to, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure she was invited she back. Around in Hollywood. What are you going to do? Wow, well, no, she's there. Mm hmm. So, looking ahead, next week we're going to be tackling the new Hellraiser, which is coming out on Hulu uh, on Friday this week, which was directed by. Uh, David Bruckner, who did The Night House, which was definitely at the top of my list this past year for uh, genre releases. So, very anxious to check that one out. Have pretty high expectations. Early reviews have been, you know, very positive. Uh, so, should should be a good one. And I know, like, we're all really amped up for that one, too, because it is one of the big releases. Uh, we also got, like, the new Chucky season starting tonight as well. So, a lot of <laughs> nice. A lot of content to consume here, but you know, I'll uh, I'll post the October and November schedule on our Twitter uh, at some point this week, so you guys know what we are tackling because it's a healthy mix of things that are hidden, like video on demand, theatrical or streaming releases as well, uh, and we also have one of our first series episodes 
uh, that we'll be doing as well for another highly anticipated project that will be dropping on Netflix pretty soon by a very notable uh, horror director. Nope, uh, but I'm yeah, good. I think I think that pretty much does it for tonight, unless you guys have anything else on Mona Lisa. Oh. Great movie. Uh, so with that being said, that will do it for us here tonight on Hand to Whisker. If you guys are looking to keep in touch with us over on Twitter, you can find us there at Hand to Whisker. Uh, we also have all of our video content available on YouTube at Handle with Scarepod. Uh, but for now, hope everyone goes to check out Terrifier 2 because that comes out this weekend in theaters. Uh, it's only like a three-day thing, uh, so keep that in mind. Hopefully, it'll be a quick uh, digital release as well, which it probably will be, just knowing how like how the trend has been lately with like movies hitting you know streaming services and whatnot. But uh... mm. I know a lot of people in the community are really amped up for that, and uh, not every day we get to see an unrated slasher in theaters either, so go check it out if you were able to. If not, rent it whenever it is readily available to you guys. But uh, Yay! It's Halloween! You know, enjoy all the content, because there's a lot to love this month, and uh, yeah, we got yeah. we got a lot of cool stuff coming up, so I hope you guys yeah. stick around for all of that as well. Alright guys, you take care.